Today we're continuing uh, a series that we started a few weeks ago. Um, in part one, we said that most homes have rules. Can you identify with that? Did you grow up in a home with rules? Just do this if you want to. You're allowed to. I know you're, you're supposed to sit still and be quiet in church, but um, how, how many of you have, have had rules in the home where you raised your children? You had some rules, okay? How many of you still have some rules and there's just two of you left? Okay. Um, where you work, you have rules, yes? Everywhere you go where you're interacting with people, there are rules of some kind. Have you found this to be true? Some are written, most are not. We've said that in the church, the simple principle that governs our interactions with others is that we are to treat each other in the church the way that God has treated each of us in Christ. So a few weeks ago, we looked at some verses from Romans chapter 15. We found that we are to accept one another. That's where we started in this conversation. We said that the two most powerful forces on the human soul are acceptance and rejection. One we move toward, the other we move away from. But either way, the, the acceptance and the rejection that we have experienced in our lives shapes us. Every word, every action, every nonverbal sends a message of acceptance or rejection. And our hearts are drawn towards environments of acceptance. The church is to be a setting where people ought to be able to come to the church and spend time with church people And they may say, I don't believe what you believe exactly. I don't really know the songs that you all seem to know. I can't find my way around the Bible like some people can. But I know this, that when I come into this place, when I'm with these people, I just feel accepted. And that's a challenging thing because as humans, we are better rejectors than we are acceptors. But this is it's important for us to talk about and to get our heads around because An environment of acceptance is the optimal environment for change and for growth. And it's more than what you think and feel, because you can sit here and think lots of accepting thoughts and feel lots of accepting feelings. It's more than that. Acceptance really comes down to what you do and what you say. So we talked about acceptance, accept one another. And then last time, a couple weeks ago, uh, last time actually was a Sunday night. Remember that? Remember that? You were here Sunday night, some of you? Okay. And we had some bad weather that morning, so we rescheduled our service for that evening. How many of you were here? That's a lie. About half of you were here. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I know who was here. We thought, let's give this a shot. Oh, okay, now we know. But um, how many of you saw the change of service time somewhere? You knew that we changed the service time a couple weeks ago. You knew that. Okay. How many of you saw it on Facebook? How many of you saw it in an email? How many of you still use email? How many of you saw it on Channel 2? Really? Okay. That's the order in which we post cancellations and changes to things. It's Facebook first, then an email, usually within seconds of each other, and then you'll see it on Channel 2. Okay? Um, So how many of you would like to see those kinds of notifications in a text message? Think about that. Okay. That's interesting. We are going to explore that. For next winter, because we're done with cancellations and postponements and all that for this winter. So, so what is the murmuring and, that I hear? So, I'm not saying we're done with snow. We're just done with snow on the weekends, okay? Because I know that school teachers are like, darn it, only time we get snow is on the weekend. And I'm like, darn it, the only time we get snow is on the weekend. But anyway, last time we talked about the New Testament mandate to encourage one another. And we said that the word encourage in the New Testament carries a lot more meaning than what we tend to attach to it. Because we tend to think of, en- of encourage as kind of a pat on the back, kind of uh, uh, some kind words. And, uh, but the word that's translated encourage in the New Testament actually means to urge, to exhort, and to plead with. So we talked about this spiritual disease that we're all susceptible to, the spiritual disease of drifting. Have you ever found yourself drifting? You don't have to identify yourself, but I think we all know that we're all susceptible to that. And we said that, it, that drifting begins with a behavior and eventually leads to a different way of thinking. And we think it works the other way around. We think it starts with our thinking and then results in behavior. But the truth of the matter is, uh, for followers of Jesus that, and for those of us who try to, to, uh, to follow him, that often we drift when we've changed our behavior and then we change our thinking. So it's not, we, we don't change our thinking that intentionally. We looked at a few verses from Hebrews chapter 3, 
and we discovered that the antidote to drifting, the thing that keeps us from drifting, is to be connected to a network of encouragers, to be connected, as the Bible defines encourage, to be connected to a community of like-minded followers of Jesus, and that while our spiritual life uh, is personal, it is not private. It is meant to be shared with someone else, that we need to bring some people into the inner circle uh, to encourage us, to urge us, to keep us from drifting so that we can then turn around and do the same for others. So I want to begin this morning. So we've talked about accept one another. We've talked about encourage one another. So I want to begin this morning by looking at a verse. You don't need to look it up because it's not the passage we're going to spend a lot of time on this morning. It's kind of a launch pad for me, but it's kind of the direction we want to go. This verse is in Galatians chapter 6, and if, uh, you, you may know this verse, but it, it says this in Galatians 6 verse 2. And these are the words of the Apostle Paul. He says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. So um, I want to make a confession about how this verse strikes me. When I read that verse and it says, carry each other's burdens, my initial response is, you know what? I really don't want to do that. Number one, I have enough burdens of my own. The idea of of bearing someone else's burden does not motivate me in the least little bit. As a leader, I feel like bearing one another's burdens is like running in place. It's just, you know, I want us to make progress as an organization. I want us to move forward and I want us to develop and I want us to reach goals and I want something I can put on a chart that moves up and to the right. And the idea of pausing and taking time and bearing one another's burdens and caring for one another, for me, sometimes it's just like, Just thought I'd start off with some confession. So if you, talk to, if you talk to executives, you talk to leaders in organizations and companies, they'll tell you that they spend an awful lot of time dealing with employees and their problems. It's like, you know, we're here to manufacture a product or we're here to provide this service and these people just can't seem to line up for help with their problems and it's just draining and it takes us off course. And I think about that and I think, you know, I'm a pastor. Uh, sometimes I feel the same way that people's problems take me off course and I'm kind of in the people business and I felt guilty about that and everything a little and the point is (laughs) my personality and the way that I'm wired carry one another's burdens it's just like nah I'll take a pass on that there are others of you and you're kind of you're looking at I know who you are I can tell I can just tell by your body language and your facial expressions right now because you're like you read that verse and you're like yes that's what the church should be Yes, I mean, you got it on, you got it everywhere. It's, uh, it's all over, you're probably hanging on your living room wall, this verse, you know. This is, what the, this is what God is all about, Todd. This is what the church is all about. And Todd, you need to go visit the wizard because, dude, you need a heart. And you, you know, because like you love to care for people, but uh, because that's what being a Christian is all about. And you just love it. And your spouse is always trying to get you to kind of dial it back a little bit and reel you in because you're just a natural caregiver. Um, and you just feel people's burdens and you just love to care for people. And you just love that verse. And that's kind of been your, maybe your uh, life verse and your theme for a long time. And you feel not only is that great, but we need to do more of that. Uh, some of you, you read this verse, um, guys, like we're like, we, we, we're kind of like this big time. We're like, nobody's going to carry my burdens. I got burdens. Oh, man, if I got burdens. I got burdens. You would not believe the burdens I got. But it's really none of your business. I'll bear my burdens, and you bear your burdens. That's how it works. We're good Americans. We're independent people. We're Mainers. We can handle our own junk. Because <laughs> my burdens are my burdens, and your burdens are your burdens, and I'm not telling anybody my burdens. I mean, yeah, we got some problems at home, and I got some stuff going on in the marriage that's not good, and I don't like the way it's going. I got some problems financially, and I'm almost, ups- I mean, I'm just, it's, it's bad, and I've got some physical problems going on, but, but I'm, not, I'm not getting anybody else involved in my burdens because my burdens are my burdens. So it's kind of a controversial thing, and, and it's confusing, and consequently, churches sometimes can get all mixed up and confused about this whole idea of caring for one another. So this morning, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that is the longest, most elaborate illustration of anything I know of in the scripture. And the reason we tend to go to extremes when it comes to caring for one another is that those of us who are, those of you who are caregivers and burden bearers, you just wear yourself out. You just drop at the end of the day because you just give and give and give and give. Others of us, we're we're focused on other things. You could say we're a little more self-centered and we kind of are insensitive and uh, some of us are maybe are withdrawn completely. But this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at, this illustration, paints a picture that gives us a sense of balance. 
and gives us a, a healthier perspective on caregiving in the life of the church. Because as a church, we have been commanded to care for one another. It's like one of the house rules, like one of the rules you grew up with in your house. It's one of our house rules that we've got to care for one another. So how do we put things into balance? How do we bring things into a healthier perspective? How can we become a church that's characterized by, you know, hey, those people at Faith Community, they really care for one another. That's what we're going to tackle this morning. We're going to start uh, with uh, some verses in uh, 1 Corinthians 12. So if you have a Bible with you or you're, and you're sitting somewhere where you can read it under the light in, or maybe you have your, um, your Bible app or whatever, 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to start with verse 12. And again, most of the verses we're looking at this morning are an illustration. Uh, they're an illustration of this thing that the Apostle Paul was trying to get across. So we're going to spend a few minutes looking at the illustration, and then at the end he gives us the punchline. So kind of hang with me here. We're just going to track with Paul. So 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, he begins with the obvious because he's a good communicator, and that's where you start. And he says in verse 12, the human body, talking about the physical body, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. It's like, thank you, Paul. I understand it's the first century, and, you know, people didn't understand a lot about whatever, the physiology and all that, but, uh, or anatomy, but I think we're tracking with you so far. This is good. So lots of parts, one body. Okay, that's deep. We'll write that down, Paul. Thanks. Then he says, so it is with the body of Christ, verse 13. For example, some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we've all been baptized, or the word there actually is connected, into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. So here's what he's saying. That this is, this, is what, this is what you know. You have how many bodies? You can answer that. How many bodies do you have? You have one body. How many parts? Lots and lots of parts. So let's just try this again. So how many bodies? And how many parts? Lots of parts. Lots of lots of parts. He says Christ is the same way. And what he, what he means is that Jesus left physically... He's not here anymore physically. And just like the physical body is one body with lots of parts, the church functions now in the very same way as the body of Christ. We are the hands and the feet and the mouth and the ears and the eyes of Christ on this earth, and we're just like a body. Then he preaches to us, and he applies this principle by spending a lot of time talking about the the physical body. So let's let's work through this illustration, and then we'll draw some conclusions. Paul goes on, verse 14. Yes, the body has many parts, many different parts not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, does that make it any less a part of the body? In other words, if one day you're walking along and your foot says, well, let's just stop right there because how freaked out are you now, okay? But your foot says, hey, uh, down here, hey, hello. You know, I'm not a hand. So I'm not really part of this body. You would say to your foot, silly foot, you are too a part of this body. Just because you're not a hand, you're still a part of this body. In fact, you can make any decision you want to, foot, but you're still a part of this body. You don't get to decide. You are a part of the body. Oh, it goes on, verse 16. And if the ear says... I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye. Would that make it any less a part of the body? And if the whole body were an eye, first of all, (laughs) wow, what are you thinking of? Mike Wazowski, I know. If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Implied, well, you wouldn't be able to hear. Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? Well, you wouldn't be able to smell. Verse 18. But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. In other words, your body's not a random thing. There are days you probably think it is, but God carefully designed fingers, toes, legs, arms, eyes. He designed the whole thing, and every single day without even thinking about it, we enjoy the benefit of God's plan, and we don't even give much thought to that. But if once in a while God had hit the random button, And body parts just kind of randomly got put together like your three-year-old with Mr. Potato Head. I mean, what a mess that would be, how crazy that would be. And we just take for granted that we are carefully and wonderfully made and that God arranged the parts of our physical body just the way he wanted them so that the physical body could accomplish exactly what he designed for us to accomplish. 
Then he moves on, verse 19. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. In other words, the eye can't say, hey, hands. Yeah, what is it? I don't know. Us eyes, we kind of got together and we decided we don't need you, hands. We, don't, we really don't need you. Oh, really? Well, next time you get some dust in your eye, uh, good luck with that. Yeah. I mean, the, the eyes can't say to the hands, hey, hands, where are the eyes? We're cool. Everybody looks at the eyes. People talk about our eyes, you know, and nobody looks at the hands. Dumb old hands, you aren't important. The body can't function that way. I know it's ridiculous. And he goes on, the head, but the, Paul's having a lot of fun with this. He says, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. And the feet would say, okay then. Let's go. Let's, let's take the head out in the sun for about six hours and, and uh, we'll just kind of see what happens there, you know, when your face is all blistered. So, it's kind of like, it's, we know this. We know this so far. Not that you haven't learned anything new yet. You're still waiting. I mean, he's covering what we already know, but he's going on and on here because he's trying to make a really important point. We know every single day that every single part of our body needs every other single part of our body. If you don't think so, um, what if you had five minutes to decide which limb you could do without? Or which organ you could do without? You're like, oh, I already got one of mine, and so I've already thought, well, I don't need that. Well, first of all, unless you're a doctor and you know what you're talking about, you probably shouldn't be making that decision on your own. There, there's no part of your body that you'd be quick to say, oh, here, take this. Because as soon as you, because you might think you know what it does, but if you don't really know what it does, you could be in a heap of trouble. He elaborates on this, verse 22. He says, in fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And can you imagine knowing only what they knew about the body in the first century? Um, this is quite profound. And the parts, he says, that we regard as less honorable are those that we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. And you're like, what is he talking about? He's like, you know the parts of your body that you're most proud of, that you don't give much attention to as, uh, as some of the parts that you're less proud of? And you're like, really? Yes, this is true. Here's, how he, here's what he means. It's like, you're glad for people to see your face. You don't come in here and cover your face. But you spend... <laughs> but you spend a lot of time and money trying to figure out how to, how to cover up the less presentable parts of your body. The less presentable parts of your body get more attention than the presentable, and they get more of your clothing budget. That's why you exercise, to get rid of that. Okay? I mean, I'm looking around, and I, I don't see any of us guys who came in without shirts on today, because that is just not presentable. <laughs> Nobody wants to be seeing that, okay? It's March. First of all, we need our sunglasses on. It's... Uh, you know, we go to the store and we spend all kinds of time and money to try to make those parts more presentable. The point is, he says, isn't it true that the parts that you think are unpresentable or unimportant, they get the most of your time and focus. So here's the application. That's, they're equally important. There are no unimportant parts, even the parts that we think are unimportant or are unpresentable. Like your eyes. People, I would hope, are more attracted to your eyes than they are to your feet. <laughs> but how many pairs of glasses do you own compared to how many pairs of shoes you own? When you get up in the morning, you spend more time and energy on your feet than you do on your eyes. Even if you wear contacts or glasses, it doesn't take long to take care of that and get your eyes ready. In fact, you get your eyes ready and then you're like, now I got, it, now I got a decision to make. I have chosen my outfit to cover the parts that I don't want anybody to see, and then I got to find some socks to match that, and then I got to put those on, and then I got to choose some shoes. And before I do that, I got to check the weather and I got to look outside because I think it's I think it's mud season. So I got to figure out is it mud season? It was on it was on Thursday, but is it today? So what kind of shoes do I need? And you put all this effort into what am I going to wear on my feet? And then you make the decision, and then you have to put them on. So our feet, which we usually don't want anyone to see, they get more of our time and attention. So that's kind of his point that even the unattractive parts of our body get a lot of our attention. So he goes on, verse 24. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity, verse 25. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. 
so the members of our physical body care for one another. Think about that. When you're injured, whatever part is injured gets the focus of the rest of your body. And he says, God designed your physical body that way. He mixed the parts. He chose the parts so that your body parts and members could take care of one another. Now, I've never, knock on wood, never been seriously injured. I've Back in the day, played a lot of pickup sports and, you know, whatever was happening in the gym, I played, but I've never been injured. I've hardly ever gone to the floor. Um, I'm just athletically gifted that way. So, um, but I've, I am, I'm a little hurt by that response. Okay, sorry. I'm just, I just, I just had this like flashback of people that I, in this room that I've played basketball with and sorry, I owe you, I'm sorry. But I have seen people get hurt. Uh, I used to play basketball with Rick all the time. I saw him get hurt all the time. Sorry about that. Um, I don't uh, no, no. I, um, no, I hit you hard enough that you wouldn't remember. When I used to play basketball a couple times a week, uh, it seems like the most common injury with someone was, um, usually on Rick's uh, baseline drive to the hoop, was a turned ankle. You know, you play basketball, you know, that's what happens. People roll their ankle. Um, then what happens? Immediately the other leg comes up and says, I'll take the weight. And the left arm says, I'll get the ankle. And the right arm says, I'll keep the balance. And the neck says, I'll turn the head. And the mouth says, I'll yell in pain and yell some profanities right now. You know? (laughs) This isn't a, hmm. Should we help him out? I don't know. He looks kind of dumb hopping around there on one leg. I don't know. No, it just happens. It happens immediately and instinctively. When you're injured, the rest of your body goes into motion. It's not some long, drawn-out thought process. There's no disunity. It's, there's not three or four of your body members going, I'm not going to help that ankle. No, that ankle's never done anything for me. I don't think so. That ankle is not attractive. Look at how ugly it is. Look how swollen and bruised. Oh, that's gross. I'm not getting involved. It just happens. You know why? Because you've got a head, and you've got a brain in your head. And it just sends these signals, and we go into action. So imagine the same scenario. Uh, what that would look like if members of the body didn't cooperate. So it's kind of like, come on, fix yourself, ankle. This is embarrassing. You're embarrassing all of us now. That's absurd, but that's kind of Paul's point. It's absurd to think that the body would function any other way. So he gets to the heart of the matter, finally, verse 26. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. If you're able to do something athletically, they don't just honor your hands and feet. They honor the whole body, right? If you're able to do something in medical research, you win the Nobel Prize for something. They don't just honor your brain. If one part is honored, the whole body is honored. Here's the punchline, verse 27. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. In other words, church, you're talking to church people, church, Think like a body. Think like a body. Don't think like a part of the body. Don't even think like an important part. Don't think like a less important part. Think like a body. Like a body, Because God says you are the body of Christ and you are to function like a physical body. That is, every part gets cared for by the other parts because every part is important. We don't want to lose any parts and we don't want any parts to get infected and we want all the parts to function because we are a body. So I want to give you four takeaways that I've found here in this passage um, that I think will be helpful to some of us. Here's the first one. When we care for one another, you ready for this? It's deep. We're caring for the body of Christ. Yeah, 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 you've been saying that for 20 minutes. Well, that's kind of my takeaway. When we care for one another, we're caring for the body of Christ. So we tend to think that when we care for one another, we're caring for one another. I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't really know them very well. I've seen them in church, but I don't really know them. And uh, you know those new people that started coming a couple years ago? Those, yeah. yeah. I don't know them very well, so I don't think I'm going to get involved in that situation. And Paul's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop. You've got to think like a body. And when you think like a body, when you care for one another, whether it's spiritual care or physical care or relational care or emotional care, you know, whatever kind of care you're giving, when you see that person, that family, that couple, that teenager, that single adult, whoever, and you, you, you need to think this isn't just an individual. I'm caring for the whole body. Because if this person goes down or this couple breaks up or this kid walks away from his faith, then the body suffers. So by caring 
for him or her or them, I'm actually ministering to the whole body. So he says, hey, when you care for one another, you're not caring for not just a body, you're caring for the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Do you believe that? Kind of, okay. So maybe we should say that together. Could we do that? And just say, we are the body of Christ? Can we say that? Let's say it. We are the body of Christ. You know what's really cool? Is this is not like, this is the body of Christ and that's it. All through this community right now, at 10.30 on a Sunday morning, other parts of the body of Christ are meeting and being sitting through some teaching that's a whole lot better than this and uh, listening to some music and singing and worshiping and caring for one another. And to be a part of something like that kind of gives me goosebumps to think that we are part of that. We get to be a part of that. Motivates me as a leader. Motivate, motivates me as a follower of Jesus. It fires me up because it's not just meeting individual needs. It's caring for the whole body. So takeaway number two is that when we care for one another, we enable the body to more effectively fulfill its mission. It didn't take me long to get there because I'm very, that's my, that's, I, I tend to lean there. When you go down physically, your whole body goes down. And sometimes everything you're about goes down. You know, your work suffers. You know, a lot of you, some, a lot of, been a lot of sickness through this winter. Like some of us, it's been a long time since we've seen a winter like that. And you're like, oh, it's just my, it's just, it's just a chest thing or it's just the flu or it's just, but your work suffers and your family suffers and your finances suffer because your work suffers and your ministry suffers because you can't be around people because you're contagious. But you know, when, you're, when your body goes down, everything you're involved with goes down to some extent. The same is true of the body of Christ. If we are a sick, injured, unhealthy body, then we're not going to be nearly as capable and competent to fulfill what God has called us to fulfill. And he's called us as a church to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. And the healthier we are, the better we are, uh, the better we care for each other, the more effectively then we'll be able to accomplish our mission. So this is helpful for me because care is not an end in and of itself. Care is a means to an end. Care is a means to a healthier, more able-to-function kind of body. And we can't allow any fingers or any toes or any arms or any legs to go unattended to. We've got to minister to every single part because that allows us to accomplish our mission more effectively. Just like your physical health contributes to what you're able to accomplish as a father, as a mother, as an employer, as an employee, as a student, as a citizen, as an athlete, whatever. Takeaway number three. No one is expected to carry someone else's burden alone. That's, that's kind of a relief to me. I mean, if I hurt my ankle, my brain doesn't assign one member of my body to my injured ankle. And it's like, I take care of the ankle. You know, ear took care of it last time, so I, you take care of the ankle. That's going to be kind of hard. The whole body goes into action. So those of you who are caregivers naturally, you have a gift of of mercy. You listen. You're, listen, you've got to connect to a team of caregivers. Otherwise, there's this sense of you're doing all the care on your own. You cannot take on the weight of the world. You can't even take on the weight of someone else's world. You can't take on the weight of someone else's burden alone. You've got to function as part of a team, not the lone ranger caregiver. It doesn't work. Because you know what will happen? If, if you approach it that way, it's probably already happened. You get burned out. Ever been there, ever burned out and caring for somebody? And eventually, you just don't want to be in an environment where you're going to hear about someone's needs. Because to hear about a need is to kind of fire up this internal thing in you, and you just want to get involved. But you've been doing it on your own, so you're burned out, and you don't want to hear about it anymore because you just don't even want to answer the phone. You don't want to go to church. You don't want to be in a small group. You, you just can't handle it. You've been used up. And God would say to us, well, that's not the plan. The plan is care happens in the context of the body. Care happens in the context of a team effort. Imagine you're going to the hospital for surgery, and maybe you've been there, and they're wheeling you into the operating room, and the surgeon shows up by himself. You're like, hi there. Where's everybody else? Oh, no, it's, you know what? I do this 10 times a day. It's not, I've been doing it for years. It's not a big deal. I can handle this one. It's like... No, wait, there's supposed to be some other... Don't worry about it. I just gave them the day off. They're out drinking coffee somewhere. I'm going to handle this one. It's pretty basic. Now, let's see, where's my scalpel? Um, 
that would freak you out. Some things are meant to be done as teams. Imagine your house is on fire, and a fireman shows up in a truck. You're like, where are the guys? Oh, they're not coming. They're playing poker, I think. But, so it's just me. That is not going to work. The same is true of the body of Christ. You are, we're not to be lone ranger surgeons or lone ranger firemen, okay? We're to be part of teams. We're, so if you're a caregiver by nature or by your gifts, you have a gift of mercy, and God's just wired you that way, I want to challenge you to get involved with a team of caregivers, with like-minded people, so that you can use your gift, but you don't burn out. Here's the last one, number four. If you don't let the body care for you, we all suffer. Let me, let me just talk to the guys for a second. Because guys, we don't like to admit that we have needs, do we? Um, we can just take care of everything. It's kind of what we do. It's, it's why God put me on earth, take care of stuff. And I don't want to get connected to some kind of thing. And, you know, if, so if you need me, you, you call me. But I'm not going to open up about my thing. And, yeah, I got some problems. And I, you know, there's stuff going on in the family right now and the kids and the marriage and, and work hasn't been great. And finances are out of control. And I got some stuff. But I'm not going to, you know, bother you with my problems. Listen, guys, if you're part of this church, and I don't mean if you're a member and you put your name on a thing, I just mean if you're a functioning part of this local church, this is where you consider your church home, if you have unmet needs, if you need care and you refuse to let us help you, you're hurting us. You're hurting yourself. You're forgetting that we're part of a body. We've got to think like a body. So yeah, it's embarrassing and it's humbling. It's hard for us to let someone take care of us and help us. It's hard for us, some of us to admit that we have a need. But hey, if, you're, if a member of your physical body decided, you know, I'm just going to handle this injury, uh, this sickness on my own, I can handle it, then it, it, it's, that's a bad scenario. When people get a little bit too selfish and a little too reserved and a little too proud, then we become unhealthy. And then they get bitter at the church and all kinds of stuff happens. So the implication here is pretty clear. If you're in the church and you need care, whether it's physical or financial or in your marriage or in your family or spiritually, you've got to open up to somebody about that. You've got to let down some walls and you've got to say, this is hard, this is humbling, this is not, this is not I don't do this, but I need some help. And then let us care for you. Because to care for you is to care for the body of Christ. To care for you is to ensure that we as a local congregation continue to be healthy and able to fulfill the thing that God has called us to do. And I know it's hard. And so for some of you, that's the application this morning. To come out to say to someone, we've got some problems. I need some emotional care. I need some relational care. I need some spiritual care. I'm just not where I need to be. I, need, I want to partner with some people. I need care. Maybe the, the hang-up is that you kind of feel like, in the context of the body here, you feel like a little toe in a boot. You know, and you're covered up, and nobody sees you, and nobody even knows your name, and you're functioning, you're doing your thing, but it doesn't really matter. No one knows you're there. So your tendency when you need is to say, well, my needs aren't that important. My needs aren't as important as someone else's needs. There's a lot, so many needs that, you know, my thing is I can, I can just deal with it, whatever. But that's a real big deal over there they're dealing with. So I don't want to bother them. There are so many important things going on. They're so busy and, you know, my little deal, I, 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 don't, I can't bother them with my needs. Don't do that. Because if you do that, we all suffer. Because you're part of the body of Christ. Maybe you've already decided, somewhere along the way, you decided, I'm, not, I'm just not going to really plug in. I'm going to come to church most of the time when it works for me. But nobody's going to know my needs. Nobody's going to have to care for me. I don't know, maybe I'm exaggerating and embellishing that, but I, I, don't, I don't think I am. Because you know who you are. You're reserved. You just don't open up to people. You're, you're a private person. That's fine. Maybe you're just proud. Maybe you refuse to humble yourself like this. I want to give you a graphic picture. If that's you, I want to give you a graphic picture of what you're like. If you refuse to function as a body of Christ this way, as a part of the body this way, this is what you're like. Let me show this picture. So basically you're just gross, that's what I'm saying. So I just confirmed what you already thought. But now you would come up and shake this. 
but you're not touching that, right? Because body parts are fine until they get disconnected, and then they're not so fine anymore, right? You just put them in a jar and close the lid, and how long do we have to look at that kind of thing? But that's the picture of a Christian who said, I take care of myself, and nobody's going to get involved in the details of my life. I'm fine. I'm just fine. I'm fine. I really, I'm fine. And your Heavenly Father says to you, no, you're not fine. You're like that. You're helpless. You're of no use to the body. The body can be of no use to you. You suffer. The body suffers. The kingdom suffers. The mission of the church suffers. And now we can take that down as that's disgusting. There's some of you who... <laughs> there's some of you who need to... Oh, wow. Yeah, you need to quit just coming to church to hear a sermon and sing some songs. It's time to get plugged into some environments, to some community, where you can give care and you can receive some care. There's a benefit here for you, and there's a responsibility for you. I mean, I would first say find a group of people. So if you start a small group. Our small groups need a serious reboot right now, and we're working on that over the next few weeks. And maybe you, but maybe you ought to just beat us to the punch and start your own group. Do it. Just do it. Because you need connection. You need community. And if you think what we have here in this setting on a Sunday morning is community, I, I'm, I, it's a little sad to me that you've never really experienced biblical community on a much more intimate level. Some of you have gifts and talents that you're not using, and you need to... Get engaged. You need to discover your passion, your calling. Start using those gifts. Start using those talents for the kingdom's sake, for the kingdom of God. Not just so your gift can be used, not so that you can get a star on a chart, but so that as a part of the body, you can, you can both give care and receive care so that we can be healthy. Because if you get too many of those detached body parts lying around, you know, the church gets unhealthy because that's not the way it was designed to function. Because you can take the most beautiful eyes in the world, but you stick them in a jar and they're just gross. <laughs> so, you're like, was that necessary? Like, not really, but it was kind of cool. Don't remain detached. So take the next step. So you've got to take some initiative. There's some responsibility here on you. There's responsibility on us, and there's responsibility on you too. So get act- I, I would suggest get active in a ministry somewhere. We're getting ready in a couple of weeks to do new schedules for the spring quarter for all of our ministry teams. Get involved in a team. Serve somewhere in the church. We're launching a new ministry initiative in the next few weeks, and we're calling it the CARE Team. Here's the thing about care in the local church, because I'm just going to get really real with you right here, okay? This is, just, this is like a family discussion. Um, sometimes care in the local church, sometimes we call it pastoral care. You ever heard that term? Have you ever heard the term pastoral care? And you thought that meant the church taking care of the pastors. That's not what it means. Oh, that's important. There's a role for that. So I'm happy to have a conversation with you about that. Pastoral care is really just a fancy term for the kind of care that we expect to get from our church experience, from our church family. Okay? We call it pastoral care because the word pastor in the New Testament literally means shepherd, and the verb means to care for the flock. So that's why you hear, might hear that term, and we use it in this church, pastoral care. But here's where this gets tricky. Some church leaders love pastoral care. Others don't. I don't know if you know anybody like that. Some pastors are gifted in this area. You're like, yeah, I once had a pastor like that. Others are not. But everyone needs it. Every member of a local congregation needs some level of pastoral care at some point. And we've done a huge disservice in the church when pastors and members fall for the lie that if pastor is in your title, then you should be the primary provider of pastoral care. Did you get that? For example, this may come as a shock to you at this point in this sermon, but I am not gifted in pastoral care. (laughs) It's not what God has wired me to do best. And even if he had... Listen, when a church reaches a certain size, one person can't provide all the care, even the most gifted person. And since God hasn't gifted me with a pastoral gift, and he's gifted me with other gifts that serve me well in providing leadership in the church, then I take it as my responsibility to equip and to lead those who are providing excellent pastoral care. 
And here's why this conversation right now. Because until this current stage in our church's life cycle, we've been able to kind of get by with a completely organic approach, just dealing with pastoral care situations as they arise. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if we're going to grow, that model won't serve us much longer. And when people don't feel cared for, they don't stay in a church for very long. So we need to get better at what we're doing now, and we need to get out ahead of the next wave of growth. So for the typical church member, even here at Faith Community, most of pastoral care is just knowing that someone in the church knows and cares about your situation. You don't necessarily need someone to come along and fix the whole deal. You just need to know that somebody knows and somebody cares. But the truth is, in some people's minds, care in the church doesn't count, yet the pastors aren't the ones providing the care. And I don't know, is there a mindset in our church that if something happens, you know, in my family, even if the pastor's away on vacation with his family, I expect that he will come back and be with me? I don't know. Perhaps for some people there's that mindset. But that mindset means the pastor's on call 24-7 for every little pastoral care need. Here's a newsflash. Your pastors, we have two of us, your pastors can't respond to every life event for every person who considers this church their home. Can't do it. It is not sustainable. So we're intentionally going to be changing that uh, mindset. And uh, you're like, well, that's good for you. You're just letting yourself off the hook. No, I'm not. Hang with me. And I know there will always be people who have this expectation, whether you know it or not. You'll have this expectation that the pastor didn't show up. Hmm, They don't care about me. Pastor Bob and I can't be there for everyone. No, my cape is not at the cleaners. I don't wear one. There will be people who didn't get a visit from the pastor when their grandma finally has that ingrown toenail removed, and they'll get offended, and they'll take their grumpy attitude and their unrealistic expectations to another church in town. That's not hypothetical. Well, some of it is, but I've seen this kind of stuff happen, and thankfully, when I see it happen, I try to give a heads up to the pastor who's going to be on the receiving end of that. You think I'm joking. <laughs> it's funny. Um, our congregation is bigger than what you see on Sunday. You're like, what do you mean? Well, let me, let me ask you this. How many of you are in church every single Sunday? Don't answer that. <laughs> but here's, here's the deal. Like, this, is, this, this is reality. If our church is only those who attend regularly on Sunday, then our pastors can handle, or two pastors can handle most of the pastoral care. Current reality, I'm going to give you some numbers. Average Sunday attendance is around 160, okay? That's this room and the kids' rooms. But at least 250 people attend at least once over an eight-week period. They consider faith community their church home, 250 people. Plus, all the people who don't attend, but when they want someone to perform a wedding, when they experience loss, they need somebody to do a funeral, when their marriage is in trouble, they still consider faith community their church and us their pastors. This actually happens. Plus, people in our community have no association with our church but consider themselves to be friends with one of your pastors. So in light of that, we're easily providing care for 300 people. Plus, the average age in our congregation is higher than it used to be. I mean, think about that. (laughs) Look around the room. I haven't done a count. There's probably 110, 120 people in the room right now. Another 30 or 40 in kids' rooms. And we know that on any given Sunday, because we track this stuff, 35% of our congregation is not here. So when you look around the room and you take into consideration the bodies in this room right now make up less than half of our congregation, then I would say that most of us would have to acknowledge that, you know, you don't even know everyone in this room by name, right? Does anybody here know everybody by name? Might be one person. <laughs> we know who that is. Because she not only knows your name, she knows your backstory and your credit score and <laughs> your great-grandmother's name, and she can get information out of you. It's, uh, yeah. Uh, so anyways, if you don't, think about this, though. If you don't know everybody in this room by at least their first name, How can the expectation be that the pastors not only know everyone by name and their family connections, but a little bit of their backstory, and they also provide all the care that everyone needs? See what I'm getting at? 
So if you're wondering, you know, why we're talking about this now, here's a, here's a question I've been wrestling with. What we've done up to this point has worked adequately. But what's the tipping point? So let's just throw a number out there. If, if, we're, if we're providing, your pastors are providing the majority of the pastoral care for 250 people, and that's the tipping point, what happens at 251? <laughs> and I don't know where the tipping point is. Maybe we've passed it already. But let's get ready. Oh, by the way, we're not that far from 300 in this congregation. We're not that far. So it's really a matter of you having a few conversations and inviting some people and getting creative and bringing some people with you. And this church goes to 300 in no time. We believe we can be there in 18 months, no doubt about it, if we get this right. But if we don't get this right, not a chance. So this paradigm shift in pastoral care is about two things. It's about more effective care, and it's about a more sustainable model. So here's what we're doing. We're launching a brand new care team, and we're going to start with the areas of care that we're already doing. And then we're going to explore some new areas in the future. So the areas of care, you're like, we do care? I'm like, yeah, we do. Like people, sometimes it comes through one of the pastors. Sometimes it's more organic, and it comes, we, f- we find out about it later. Um, but the areas of care that present themselves most often right now at Faith Community, these are also, um, I think there are, area, there are areas of care that we seem to be able to meet on some level right now. So here's an example. I'll give you some examples. First one is grief recovery. There's some of that happening. It happens in the life of our church. People spend time with one another in visits. They, give, they share resources. They follow up, you know, when someone experiences a loss. Uh, medical recovery, and by that we mean, you know, again, visits in the hospital, visits at home in recovery, providing some meals, um, that kind of thing, whether it's a surgery or an illness or an injury or whatever. We do some of that. Um, home repair, you're like, really? You're like, yes, we do. We have a team of guys that just somehow have their ear to the ground and find out about opportunities to help with really simple, seasonal kind of necessary repair projects. Don't get any idea if you're planning a full remodel. That's not what we do. (laughs) Crisis support. This is things like conversations about marriage and parenting and job loss and health. When, When the wheels come off and you need to know that people are there, they know and they care. And then what we're just calling care partners, which is not to be confused with counseling because we don't do counseling here. Uh, but when we get requests for FaceTime with the pastors, um, we're going to start referring people to the care team first. Then a couple other things I think I put on the list was follow-up. And that's like church attendance follow-up. So we really do, um, we, we track your attendance. You're like, well, where's my ribbon? I've got really good attendance. <laughs> um, so we need to be better at follow-up, though. And so the, with the information we have, we need to be better at following up and say, hey, we noticed you haven't been around for a few weeks. Is everything okay? Is there anything we can do for you? And then the last thing is donors. These are people who are willing to give to fund care projects. So we don't have that line item in our budget. Um, but when needs arise, we need to know who it is we can go to and say, hey, we've got this need. It's going to cost this much. Can you contribute this time? How, and then how often can you contribute? So, um, so we're working right now at putting the right people in the right places on this team. For the most part, we have a lot of our team leaders in place. Um, so this is why we want you to take the next step and get connected to this team. So here's why. So you can give and receive care. So you can be healthy, so the body can be healthy. And just so you know how this is going to work, um, we're going to have a central portal where you can communicate your care needs. There will be a page on our website, and there will be a dedicated phone number for the care team. Um, But before we go there, before we set this thing in motion in just a few weeks' time, uh, we need you to get in the game on this. So we need you to serve on some teams. Uh, we have a reply card, and Bill and Rick have some cards, and, and if we can get those, let's go ahead and get those out to, the, to everybody. Um, and you can just take the card. Don't start reading it yet, okay, unless you've already looked at it on the Bible app because um, I, I want to talk through this. It may be crystal clear to you what you're to do uh, because anybody else want to grab jump over here and help? Okay, well, there you go. Anybody else wants to help? It happens that much faster. Um, It may be crystal clear to you what you're to do because of your giftedness, because of your passion, because of your life experience, because of maybe where you've received care in the past, and you're like, I want to pass that on to somebody else. We're not really asking you to lead anything. We, for the most part, have a bunch of our leaders in place. But we're asking you to join a team, to be part of a solution, to be a fully, listen, fully functioning member of the body of Christ this thing we call the church. So we want to be the kind of church 
that when you bring your non-church friends and your non-Christian friends and your seeker friends and they sit through you know, me going on and on and on and they don't believe all the things I have to say and they're not so sure about the Bible and they've got a lot of questions, they're at least convinced of this one thing, that there's a group of people that really cares for one another. You know, I don't buy into everything they believe, but I'm glad it's good for you. But one thing about it, there's a group where you won't slip through the cracks. You'll be cared for. Because we want to be a church that cares for one another. Jesus said, By this everyone will know that you're my disciples. Not that you get dressed up on Sunday mornings and you sing some songs that most church people know that you appear to have it all together and you don't need anyone to carry your burden. That's not what he said. He said, they're going to know that you're a Christian. They're going to know you're a follower of Jesus Christ if you love one another. And caring for one another isn't just about meeting needs. That's part of it, but it's bigger than that. It's about fulfilling the Great Commission. It's about leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. While the guys are finishing up, we're going to sing a song and uh, we're going to play a song that you can sing along with if you want to. And we've been using this song for each part of the series so far. Here's what I'd like you to do. If it's clear to you right away where it is you're to serve in this, in this new initiative that's going to be a part of this, the way that we do church moving forward, um, fill out the card, and you can. there's a basket here at the front, there's a basket in the back. Just drop it face down in those baskets, and we'll start putting this thing together in the next few weeks. If you need a little um, time to think about it and to pray about it, because it's not that clear to you, because your tendency is like, I want to sign up for all of them. Don't do that. In that case, you need a little clarity. So take this home, bring it back next Sunday. Uh, but bring it back next Sunday, okay? Um, but I would just encourage you uh, sometime over the next half hour before we leave here that you give this a little bit of thought and uh, respond um, accordingly, okay? Listen to this. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. Bye.